The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Kumbudzo Nchaveni, the Minister in the Presidency, spoke to Clement Magnatella on 702 and uh, she stated that in terms of our legal process, no arms were authorised. Have a listen. There was a question last year that was submitted to the uh, uh, committee, the, uh, the NCACC, uh, by a parliamentarian last year and this year on the very same issue to say, did you sell arms? Did you do that? So in terms of our legal process and formal process and government control process, there are no arms that are authorized to mm-hmm. be sold to Russia to Ukraine, to Belarus. You can go to Parliament and follow the respondent to that question in PQ, I think, uh, 2441. I can get you the exact number of the PQ to respond to that specific question. But yesterday's statement, it was dealing with this megaphone diplomacy that the U.S. is trying to bully us. We can't be bullied. We're a sovereign state. And I listen to your monologue. It's not about... (laughs) It's not about you, you, you. It's not about a side and the main. It's about you and your neighbor. You, you, you agree we are going to live cordial with each other. Will not make disturbances that will uh, uh, disturb the peace next door, and will look after each other if the neighbor decide this uh, people who are not ever uh, if i'm not around mm. my neighbor says if i see people loitering in a manner that it becomes suspicious i will alert you that there's this uh, 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 there are neighbors who are yeah who, 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 there are people who are lingering which um, i'm not comfortable and it's like that terror alert the issue which was false they just wanted to scare south africans and Minister in the Presidency, Kumbudzo Nshaveni, speaking to Clement Magnatella on 702 earlier, very much on a media offensive this morning, trying to get that narrative uh, out there. Uh, so let's uh, unpack this a little bit further with Professor Abel Esterhazer, who's the head of the Department of Strategic Studies at Stellenbosch University. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. We now have a situation where the ambassador has been demarched. Uh, Minister Nelly Pandor is going to be speaking to Secretary Anthony Blinken. Uh, relationship with the U.S. very much uh, fragile at this point. There's a huge amount, 400 billion rand in trade at risk here. Where does this leave South Africa? Well, this is actually quite interesting. Um, uh, I, I think let's let's draw the line in the sand by saying that. Uh, the U.S. perhaps have used this opportunity uh, and the whole, um, you know, secret, uh, the, the, the cloud of secrecy surrounding the, the Lady R's visit to, to send a very, very clear diplomatic message to, to South Africa, not only to South Africa, but also to Africa and the rest of the world. And the message, I think, is the following. The U.S. will tolerate neutrality, but nothing beyond that. Um, it's good if you are uh, neutral on, on the, uh, the Ukraine issue, but uh, we're not going to allow you to, um, to support Russia in, in Ukraine. And I think that is the underlying um, diplomatic message uh, for South Africa in, in, in all of this. We now have an independent inquiry that's going to be headed by a retired judge. What do you make of government's response to do this instead of just coming out with a flat denial? Well, this is 
classical government response uh, to, to, to gain time. Um, I think what we are seeing here is uh, Cyril Ramaphosa playing for time. Keep in mind, we are uh, the, uh, the BRICS chairmanship at, at the moment. Um, by the time the, the commission is coming out with its report, um, perhaps we will be very close, if not beyond the, the, um, the elections. And by that time, we will have clarity as to which way the war in Ukraine is, is unfolding. So um, I, I won't make anything of the, the, the commission of inquiry. Um, I think this is uh, um, just classical delay tactics, the tactics from, from government. Uh, there's nothing in it. Um, if, if, they, if they're serious in, in, in providing answers, the easiest thing would have been to chase um, and to take the paper trail on this, uh, mm-hmm. who authorized what. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, yeah. there's uh, no, uh, you know, there's there's no uh, haste from government that I can pick up that they want to provide clear answers on this. So they have played the delay uh, delayed game. Classic uh, government response, Prof. As you say, Prof. Abel Esterhazen uh, speaking there, the head of the Department of uh, Strategic Studies at Stellenbosch University. Uh, as he says, the U.S. Uh, will uh, tolerate neutrality, but they will not uh, tolerate uh, anything else. The midday report. So the market's reacting to this very much. So as I mentioned, the Rand and free fall this morning uh, going down to uh, 1947 at, uh, Rand to the, the dollar at one point today. It's recovered slightly. Gina Skuman is an economist at Citibank uh, joining us now. Gina, good afternoon to you. Uh, blood on the floor this morning when it comes to, to the Rand dollar. Uh, what is the, the sense of, of the market and how it's been responding to these uh, allegations around Russia? And, and is it just Russia? Or is this the the load shedding situation compounded? Hi, Mandy. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, look, the, the rand has been on a weekening trend ever since Wednesday. So we've had, we've had three days now of it just getting worse and worse. Um, we've got a whole heap of things that have been added into what we call a risk premium. So the premium, obviously, of running with the risk of of investing in South Africa and especially currency. So you know, it's definitely not just U.S. Russia. And South Africa, although that is, seems to be the biggest headline um, since yesterday. There has been in- extreme fears about grid collapse. So that's been a big part of all of this. And then, of course, prior to that, I would say, you know, we've been building up this risk premium the whole year with the severity of load shedding, the persistence of load shedding, the political uncertainty coming out of Fala Fala, a president willing to resign, you know, not knowing what that hands to us, you know, not really knowing what happens with ESCOM. And if you put all of this together... You know, what really spooks investors is the fact that for the budget, for the fiscal position, for public finances, this is almost nightmarish because a weak currency, um, higher interest rates, they all are very, very bad for a country that is trying to consolidate and trying to bring down government debt. I joked with you a bit earlier on today, uh, we were chatting and I, and I said, uh, how many times have you been asked today, how bad uh-huh. could this get? Because I'm sure everybody is asking you how bad it could get. I used the word free fall. Some other media have used the word free fall. Is that accurate? And, and, and Gina, how bad could it get? I don't think it's in free fall, right? We, we do have 
what we call, um, you know, currency adjustment mechanisms that can be used. I mean, this sounds very scary, but, you know, the most simple one would be just hike as much as you can because that attracts capital flows. Um, but that's certainly not our view. So, so don't get too concerned there. We are expecting more hikes, but not, you know, into basically infinity. Where this gets really tricky and, and, and why you should expect almost the bad news to continue for some time is that we're only just entering winter. And obviously, as we enter winter and ESCOM brings out low shedding schedules that, you know, take us much higher schedules and we go to much higher stages, um, that combined with obviously, you know, the insurers coming out saying they won't cover for grid collapse, you know, we're going to have this concern, this fear about grid collapse and load shedding, you know, for at least, at least until the end of winter, if not, you know, after that. I mean, there is some good news there. We've got self-generation coming online in quite a big way, but it's very hard to sell that as a positive when, you, when you're actually living in this moment of load shedding severity and, of course, the fears of grid collapse, which is still very low probability, but if it happened, it would be absolutely devastating. But at the same time, the whole U.S.-Russia, South Africa relations is also something that doesn't go away overnight. And we've got the BRICS summit coming up. We've got the AGOA forum coming up. Both of those are August, September. So, you know, it's, it's going to take quite some time for South Africa to do whatever it needs to do to either appease the U.S and move it into some kind of convincing neutral position. But, you know, these things obviously have not been taken lightly. And I do think that the U.S. is likely to demand quite a big, you know, gesture from South Africa. So it's not going to, it's, it's, we're not in a free fall. Um, I guess it could get a little bit worse. But we're not expecting a complete Armageddon scenario here. Oh, that's good to hear. Very comforting. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gina. Gina Skuman, uh, Citibank economist, speaking to us there. Uh, it's not Armageddon, but uh, the RAND is at a record low. It did go down to 1947 to the US dollar earlier today. If you missed it earlier, as I mentioned, uh, Durko uh, will today demarche the US ambassador to South Africa following his remarks yesterday. Minister Nalini Pandor will also speak to Secretary Anthony Blinken this afternoon and very much a media offensive from the presidency today to try and allay those concerns uh, that emanated from the allegations from the US ambassador yesterday. Let me know what you think. Send me a WhatsApp voice note. Let us know. The Midday Report. Report. Let's go to the courts now because the various trials we've been following all week continuing today, that matter against five former G4S employees involved in the Tabo Besta escape back in the Bloemfontein Magistrates Court today. They're accused of assisting Tabo Besta to escape from the Mangoan Correctional uh, Center last year. There is a bail application. Yesterday, Nandipa Magudamana uh, rolled over her bail application to next week, so she's not there. It is just the former G4S employee. Oren Singh, EWN reporter in court for us. Oren, good afternoon to you. What's happening in court today? Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, well, we've, we've resumed uh, the court or the bail application against the five former G4S employees this morning, and it started off with the testimony of a witness who is a member of uh, SAPS's organized crime. He's been testifying this morning and providing details in how um, the G4S employees went about their business in assisting Tabo Best to escape from the money in correctional facility. And they did this uh, by doing a number of things in breaching protocol at the facility. Um, they, he detailed how uh, Senohe Matsuwara had smuggled the body into the facility. The body was then uh, picked up by CCTV technician Tiboho Lipolo. 
where it was taken to a duct room, and the body was taken in on the 29th of April. It was taken into a duct room at the facility where it was stored until the 2nd of May. Uh, on the 2nd of May, um, it, was, it was collected, and in the early hours of the 3rd of May, it was taken into an area called Broadway at the facility. And this is where cell 35 was located, Tabo Bester's cell. And the body was taken into that cell and set alight. Uh, Bester then allegedly walked out of the prison dressed in a G4S uniform with Matsuwara and Lipolo with the assistance of Natasha Janssen and Theo Franz Makotsa. And these two were the, the CCR controllers who were in charge of opening and closing doors electronically from the control room. They were on duty that morning and they opened certain doors to allow the three um, to get out of the prison. But I think the most interesting thing for me, Mandy, is the money that was involved in this whole operation. And, um, you know, we, we, we saw the charge sheets and the money that was, was uh, put in the charge sheets, but the witness today broke that down for us and actually explained it in terms of how much was paid for all of this to be possible. Now, um, Matsuwara was paid about 150,000 rand in various transactions. And this was in the form of 20,000, 50,000, 25,000 into his bank account starting from April last year. And the person who was paying the money to him was someone by the name of TK. And when police investigated who TK was, they found out that it was actually Tabo Bester himself using the alias of TK Nkwana. Um, and Matsuwara subsequently paid an amount of 40,000 rand to Cheboho Lepolo, that's a CCTV technician who switched off the cameras in the Broadway area. He paid him on the amount of 40,000 rand, and he paid another amount of 14,000 rand to uh, Theo Franz Makosa, the guy in charge of opening the doors. So that's where we are at the morning um, uh, right now. The witness is still testifying and is expected to provide more details into how this escape was made possible. Oren, thank you so much. Oren Singh, EWN reporter in court there. So this is this is fascinating. So Tabo Bester walked out of the prison wearing a G4S uniform. He kind of just strolled out. What's really interesting for me is, so we've learned how much it costs to pay somebody off if they're going to uh, look the other way for the CCTV footage. Uh, and in the Fort Hare case, we learned how much it costs to kill a vice chancellor. So five million rand to, to, to murder a vice chancellor, three million rand to murder a deputy vice chancellor. It's madness. But thanks to what's happening in the courts, at least we now get a proper understanding of what it costs to, to execute uh, people and to carry out all of these organized crime operations as well. So if you have uh, an extra... 40,000 Rand, you can pay off a CCTV official to look the other way and fix the footage so you can escape from prison. The Midday Report. Staying in the courts, let's go to the Senzo Mayiwa murder trial. Uh, still the cross-examination of Umtokozisi Twala in that matter. The various lawyers for the various accused getting an opportunity to do cross-examination there. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter in court for us. So Khamotso, give us an update on today's cross-examination. Good afternoon, Mandy. So in today's cross-examination, Advocate Sandy Lemsholo is cross-examining Ntogozisi um, Twala. Um, and of course, a lot that's come out um, has been really focused on Twala's alcohol consumption before Senzo Mayua was killed. You'll remember that Twala and Dinello conceded that they had been drinking alcohol before Mayua was killed. And so uh, Advocate Sandy has focused a lot on that. So the reason why 
uh, Twala hasn't been able to give the finer details is because of his alcohol consumption. We heard from uh, Twala that he had two cans of hunted gold and had opened a third when the intruders entered. But we've also heard from him that he cannot describe what the firearm that he says the intruders used actually looked like. He hasn't been able to estimate how far Mayor was from him at the time when he was shot. Another detail really that Tolero um, has asked. And so he, uh, he's repeatedly gone back to the fact that Twala uh, was under the influence of alcohol, but also he's gone back to the fact that there were no intruders and that they have all just fabricated the story uh, for some sort of a narrative. Tolero is continuing with cross-examination as we speak. Khamotso, thank you very much. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter. So Advocate Mshololo currently on her feet at the moment with that cross-examination. Let's listen in. May the document which I have just referred to the witness to be marked as an exhibit. Be marked? Yes, or be admitted as an exhibit. That makes it exhibit what? I'm not sure the number of the as a So as you can hear, nothing really happening in court at the moment because Advocate Mshololo is referring to an exhibit um, and they are paging through the, the evidence to, to make sure they've got the right exhibit there. Twal is being asked about whether he called the, the police or whether he uh, asked the neighbours to call an ambulance as well. So that's cross-examination. Advocate Mshololo currently leading that in the Senzo Miwa murder trial. The Midday Report. The NPA is currently before Parliament's Justice Committee today to present their annual performance plans and their budgets as well. Uh, no doubt the NDPP Shimala Batoy will be facing questions around the Guptas, around the Nulani case as well. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, is following that for us. Babalo, good afternoon to you. Uh, what kind of uh, questions have the NPA faced today? Hi, Mandy. Yes, NPA facing questions from members like the DAs. Dennis Breitenbach, who's really questioning high-profile cases or, you know, the lack of high-profile cases that are being prosecuted, you know, that are in the public domain, she says, the ones that we are currently aware of are not as high-profile. So members are really raising issues about the NPAs, you know, should at least, um, there should at least be a perception that the NPA is going after the big fish. And then saying that the trials, for example, the one you just, you just mentioned, the, the new, the new line trial, the new lane trial, I'm not sure of the exact pronunciation. The NPA was using both pronunciations during the meeting. But she says that is, that and the Gupta extradition, Shamila Patoy, the NDPP says the, that case, as well as the extradition, the failed extradition of the Gupta brothers are just two cases or just two setbacks. Um, and she said this is um, some negative reporting of late, which is related to the NPA's performance. So most of the questions are really based on performance and high-profile cases or a lack of high-profile cases. And Babalo, how is Shimila Batoy responding to these questions? We know that Glennis Breitenbach can be uh, quite incisive when it comes to her questioning. Um, so, so how is she responding? Well, she's saying that uh, these are just setbacks and uh, that the NPA you know, investigates or prosecutes, I think, up, up to... 
800,000, you know, um, separate cases. And she's saying that they is, you know, improvement since they, she took over as, as the National Director of Public Prosecutions. And on these specific cases, for example, the extradition of the Guptas, she says it was really out of their powers as the NPA. And she says that it's, it's, it would be really unfortunate, you know, for us to basically calibrate the discussion through the lens of these two cases alone. And she's also saying that they'll be appealing the, the New Lana case. And she says that they'll be, you know, flourishing their leave for, for appeal in that matter. So it's not over for that one specifically, which involves, you know, um, fraud and money laundering that involves Gupta associates. Um, and she says that as far as the, as the extradition of the Guptas is concerned, you know, they really have left no choice. And she said they were informed by the UAE officials that, you know, the brothers were, in fact, in custody, which is contrary yeah. to some of the, the reports that we've heard. And she just basically gave them an, an update on that, saying that, for example, exchange control violations in the UAE are not considered a violation, which is one of the reasons that the Guptas might mm. still be out of the country. Babalo, thank you. Babalo and Denze, EWN reporter, speaking to us there about the NPA appearing before Parliament's Justice Committee today. The Midday Report. The Health Minister Joe Parkler today is in Kuruleni joining provincial health authorities and nurses. Uh, he's leading the um, International Nurses Day commemorative event today. Uh, today is International Nurses Day. It's celebrated annually on the 12th of May. Uh, it's in memory of the birth of uh, Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing. So in line with that as well, today the a rural nurse South Africa, the RHAP, launching a report titled Nursing Community Service, the answer to rural health systems challenges. And the report looks at the challenges that are facing nursing in South Africa, uh, such as deteriorating study and working conditions, loss of incentives, lack of financial support, pure ethical, uh, poor ethical leadership as well. Zambini Madikiza is the community liaison at the Rural Health Advocacy project is good afternoon to you thank you very much for your time today uh, tell us about the crisis that the nursing field is facing today good afternoon to you um, and good afternoon to the listeners um the crisis uh, that is faced by the nursing um, workforce today is really about um their, their their dignity and their human rights right it's about the working conditions that they work under it's about the shortage of staff um that they they they, they are experiencing and i mean you've touched on it the incentives and we have poor leadership uh, when it comes to um this um nursing uh, workforce what about the issue of community services in rural areas uh, specifically what are the, the some of the key issues highlighted in the report so the key issues that are highlighted in the report is that the the community service um, program currently does not speak to the the, the 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 creation of a supportive working environment, does not speak to supporting these young nurses that had just gone out, that are just graduated from college and from 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 universities. So what we are saying, we are saying that the community service program needs to be strengthened, needs to be having a, a, a an intentional supportive structure, needs to seek to look at how these rural um, nurses in the in the rural communities are living. You know the living conditions, simply houses. How are your houses? Um, so we are saying that the community service program is there, but currently it is not efficient. And plus, there is no policy that is really guiding and mandating how the community services in the rural areas should be.
And Zambini, what is the, the cooperation with the Department of Health like? So these recommendations out of this report, uh, do you have a relationship with the Department of Health that you could suggest these? Will there be any kind of implementation? Yes, definitely. In the report, it is dated that um, the Royal Health um, Advocacy Project is also having a memorandum of understanding with one of the um, um, provinces, the Royal Provinces uh, um, Department of Health. So we do engage with with, with Department of Health. We do um, 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 have facilitated stakeholder engagement with them. What we are enforcing in these stakeholders is really um, an improvement of of health governance, right? The decision-making portals. And also with the Department of Health, we're saying that um, when we're speaking of, of, of ethical leadership, we need people that will really see a need of really um, seeing how do we then do an equitable um, 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 distribution rather than equality. We say which provinces need which provinces are in need the most, then we can prioritize such provinces. So we are saying that with this engagement with the Department of Health and people in, in positions of power, we need to make it a point that we have good leadership. Mm. Zambini, thank you. Zambini Marikiza is the community liaison at the Rural Health Advocacy Project speaking there about this report, which highlights issues uh, for nurses in rural areas. Today, of course, is International Nurses Day. The Midday Report. The National Institute for Communicable Diseases, the NICD, confirming an outbreak of mumps in South Africa, the viral infection. It predominantly affects children between the ages of five and nine. Uh, So people who've had mumps, usually they're protected for life against other mumps infections, but there can be secondary occurrences as well. So let's understand this with Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy, an NICD pathologist. Dr. McCarthy, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, tell us about the, this latest outbreak. There, there has have been warnings from the NICD for a couple of months now. I know I took my kids for a, for a booster. We were told to do that. Um, so, so tell us about the latest outbreak. So thanks, Mandy. I think the first important uh, principle is uh, differentiating mumps from measles. So South Africa is uh, just at the tail end of a measles outbreak, and uh, we have through, uh, and I talk collectively, we, South Africa, um, has um, uh, successfully dealt with the measles outbreak through provision of a wide age-ranging supplementary immunization activity, that's a a vaccination campaign, targeting children uh, up to the age of 15 years. However, um, we also have noted in the recent months, um, starting probably, probably from about February, March, um, an increase in the number of mumps cases. So mumps and measles are different. So I got um, that. Me- you you caught me out completely. I got that completely wrong. So I'm so glad that you you did correct me there. Um, I got my kids a, a booster for measles because we were told to do that. Uh, so now we're dealing with mumps. Um, and I imagine does that mean we need boosters as well, or are we sufficiently protected for for kids? So that's a good question, Mandy. Um, There is a vaccine for mumps virus. However, the vaccine is not available in the public sector. But uh, before we get uh, concerned about the reasons for that, mumps is a benign, um, mild infection in the vast majority of persons. It causes a swelling of the parotid glands and um, a mild low-grade fever and some occasional swelling of the lymph nodes in the neck and it resolves spontaneously. Uh, About one in 5,000 people may develop a headache 
that then progresses on um, in, in even fewer proportion of cases to what we call an encephalitis. It's a, a, a viral infection of the head which resolves spontaneously without complications. Um, okay. Occasionally and very rarely um, post-pubertal uh, adults or um, adolescents may develop an orchitis uh, that is an inflammation of the testicles and that can lead uh, to occasionally to um, sterility. So in, in terms of the public health burden of disease, while mumps is an unpleasant infection to have, it is not an infection that leads to lifelong uh, uh, sequelae or consequences mm. um, that may endanger uh, the lives and livelihood of people. Okay, so do we need to do anything? Are there any precautions we need to take uh, or is this more just uh, uh, a word of warning from the NICD to look out for this? That's exactly what it is, Mandy. Um, Mumps virus circulates every year um, and if we look back at our records um, at the uh, National Health Laboratory Service, which we have done, you'll see that um, there are uh, a number of cases every year um, the, one of the reasons why we're seeing such a large outbreak is the same, uh, uh, one of the contributing factors to the measles outbreak, and that is that uh, because mumps is less infectious than um, many other conditions, uh, the non-pharmaceutical interventions from SARS-CoV-2 or COVID uh, led to a decrease in transmission. And so uh, for the past three to four years, we haven't had any transmission of um, these common infections that usually occur in childhood. And that's left a lot of children susceptible to mumps. And so there's uh, been an increase in cases that um, we are now calling an outbreak. Mumps mm. uh, is infectious in people for about seven days before symptoms begin. And this makes it incredibly difficult to control because by the time you realize you're sick, a person has been excreting the virus to their close contacts for right. about seven days. And this means that uh, things like school closure or uh, quarantine, as we're so used to for COVID and measles, are not helpful in containing the transmission of the disease. So it's not uh, um, an enormous public health problem. It's a nuisance okay. condition, and it has um, self-limited complications. Dr. Kerrigan McCarthy, thank you so much. And I see the pathologist explaining to us there about this outbreak of mumps, not measles. We're at the tail end of a measles outbreak. Uh, I got confused in the beginning. I'm sorry about that. It happens sometimes. Um, but she's confirming there an outbreak of mumps and what it means uh, for us. Uh, another description is a nuisance disease. Uh, but now you know that there is an outbreak of mumps. The Midday Report. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. Oh, Brent, Linda Q, I have missed you. I wasn't in last week. I was doing the breakfast show. So, so great to, to have you on, uh, giving us some good news at the end of our week. It's always good to be on the show, man. I love, I love Friday afternoons when I get to hang out with you in the studio and bring you some good news, especially after the week we've had. It's been tough, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has been tough. We're all talking about Russia and South Africa and arms and the RAND is plummeting, so we do need some good news. Um, last week, we were talking about the fact that Pretty Yende was going to perform at the coronation. I thought she was outstanding. 
um, if you if you had the opportunity to either watch the coronation or watch the YouTube clips of her, you would just feel absolutely inspired. Um, she really did great justice to the song that she sang. I'm not a, I'm not a huge classical opera fan, but I even got the feels when I was watching that video. And what's even better is she's putting South Africa on that global stage again, right? Whenever there's a South African in the space that's sort of raising the flag and, and really making us proud of our country, mm-hmm. she did just that that coronation which was fantastic Shame, and I saw she injured her, her leg she had to cancel her last show so I hope she gets better soon uh, and then you, you've published a, a story about a South African that has penned an inspiring message for those living abroad who are missing home tell us about that you know, the reality is we've all spoken about it. It's something that's a normal conversation. It shouldn't be uh, with South Africa, with people immigrating and leaving. Um, and the reality is it's tough going to a different country. It's a culture shock. You've got to get used to stuff. Um, you miss home. And in this beautiful message that he's penned, that he's written an open letter to other South Africans that might feel the same as him, he just basically, in a nutshell, says, we mustn't forget that South Africa lives within us. And we can always come home. We can always come home. We can visit. Uh, you don't have to stay where you are. You can come back. But really, the message in that is that South Africa lives within us, wherever you are, all over the world. Uh, and definitely go read that that open letter. It's well worth reading. Uh, and then, Brent, um, I've been listening this week. Our colleagues on 947, on Anela and the Club, have been eating all the cheesecake. They have literally eaten all the cheesecake in Joburg. And because of that, everybody else has gone out and eaten whatever cheesecake is left in, in the shops. Yes. And that really does bring yeah, us joy, doesn't it? It does bring us joy, and, and I love it because it's supporting small businesses and sort of speaking about the different shops that, that were obviously hard hit in the last couple of years. Um, and one specifically I nearly spoke about is one which is down the road from me here and forward. It's called DC Coffee Co. They went viral uh, a couple of years ago for a beautiful pay it back wall. So you could go into the store, you could purchase a coffee or a sandwich, you could stick it up on the wall and someone else could grab that uh, if they were in need of that, that sort of kindness. And I nearly mentioned them on the show in the morning, uh, they were breakfast show, and, and they sold out of their cheesecake seven hours later. They were done. People from as far as Alderton, which is like a 45-minute drive away from boys, made their way to their you know, by that cheesecake. So supporting small businesses and eating cheesecake, what better news than that? Well, if you're feeling miserable about the country today, go out and get yourself a, a slice of cheesecake, because Anele said you can. Brent, thank you so much for bringing us the good news. Oh, I love it. You know I do. And as always, every Friday... To all of the listeners, I want to wish you guys only good things. Only good things, Brent Lindeku, the good things guy, wrapping up a Friday for us. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website, 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know in 60 minutes. This is the Midday Report.